You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Ba, 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 ba. We're back! We're back! We're ba, 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 back ba, ba, ba. again. I know we keep promising that on every podcast, but fall camp was a little bit of a doozy as far as schedule-wise, but we should be back on a better schedule now that fall camp is over. And speaking of which, we have a good show for you today. We'll be talking about the fall showcase that happened on Saturday, but also recapping all of fall camp since we didn't come to you on a podcast yet about that. So we're going to talk some fall camp, fall showcase, give you our stock up, stock down. But as a reminder, you guys subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also look out for our tweets. Sometimes we tweet out uh, for questions for the podcast. And we got a lot today, Shotgun. So That's true. We've got even more since we started recording. Wow. That tells you a lot. So stay tuned. We'll be answering your questions at the end of the podcast. But Shotgun, before we get into stock up, stock down, what have been your overall thoughts about what you've seen so far you know you, you see the offense and the the implementation of the graham harrell's version of the air raid offense and that's kind of led everything you know they've gone with more tempo on offense they've done a lot of different things there not a lot of physicality you know there's been a lot of questions about how how much they would tackle you know how physical they would be you know i haven't seen a ton of physicality you're seeing some pops every once in a while in the thud but it's it just doesn't seem like there is that you know, the, just that pounding of the rock mentality that they have, and I think that showcased itself some in the fall. In the fall showcase, it showcased itself, in the sh- so therefore it was right. Um, but you know, I think that's something that's still a big question mark with this team. You know, I, I don't when you bring in an air raid offense. You know, the air raid's known for quick passing and throwing the ball and wide splits and. Not for physicality, not for fourth and one, third and one. You know, you're picking up that yard. So that's something I, I think is a big question mark with this team still. Uh, I, I think that you're seeing a ton of new faces this fall. You know, there was a lot of guys either that were injured in the spring and weren't able to practice or, you know, just the the in, the inclusion of all the freshmen, especially the DBs. You know, it's just a, a whole new group of faces out there and trying to learn a bunch of new numbers and, and, and stuff. So I think that you're seeing a bunch of new faces, new bodies out there and guys trying to find their way, trying to figure out where they fit in. You know, you've seen that with some of the DBs, you know, been moved around to different spots. You've seen that with some of the linebackers, you know, especially because there's been a couple of injuries in, in the interior linebacking spot. So, you know, I think that we're seeing USC trying to find out where people fit. And because there's so many new faces, that's kind of been a work in progress this, this entire uh, fall. So I, I think that they didn't find out maybe as much as they wanted to in the spring because you had guys injured. You, didn't, you weren't able to figure out who's going to be starting in that secondary. So those have been some big battles. You still got the quarterback controversy, not controversy, competition. <laughs> I mean, the controversy might be that there is still a competition. You know, going in, you know, fall camp is now officially over. I guess technically air quotes, air quotes because you know, you'll have a week of mock game week this week and then you go into full full-fledged game prep for Fresno State so technically with, with fall camp over I think you would want to have a starter named still a day before they get back to the practice field we'll see if that happens in that time um, but you know just because you have four guys it's not like there's two guys battling and trying to figure out who gets those reps and hey those two guys are gonna get all the reps you know whether they go first or second t- team it's you got four guys trying to figure out who gets reps here and there and I think with young guys, especially, you know, three of those guys are three years or younger. 
getting them to get those reps and be ready to go. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks, of course, but yeah, that's, that's what we've seen so far from the fall. Yeah, I don't want to – I might have preempted what we're going to talk about a little bit, but I, I have some things I want to jump in well, on. Well, ask me for my thoughts I'm and then say, don't, don't talk about that. I forgot that you are not quick and succinct on overall thoughts. But that's I mean, hard. this is USCFootball.com. We're, we we're not succinct on here. Very true, very true. Okay, but let's just get into stock up, stock down. Stock up, who you got? I'm going to start with Drake Jackson. I'm going to start with my spring. You know, the guys at the end of the spring, you know, I had two of my stock ups stayed the same. To uh, Three of my stock downs were pretty much similar, too, so I just left them on there. So Drake Jackson, obviously, we've seen him getting a ton of first-team reps. He's, you know, rotating in and out with Christian Rector at times. He's playing opposite of Christian Rector at times. You know, it, it looks like he's going to be a star in this offense, I mean, in this defense, it looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to play day one and going to be able to make an impact. Because it's not just he's getting reps. He's out there and he's making things happen. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's earned those reps that he's got. You know, they they tried to pump the brakes a bit in the spring. They try to say, well, he looks like this guy and this guy, but let's wait till we see him on a Saturday. And, you know, Chad Kay's even pumped the brakes a little bit with him this fall, you know, saying he's doing great right now, but we got to see him when it actually comes in a game. I don't think it's going to be any different. Uh, this this kid's a playmaker. Yeah, without a doubt. I actually was really pleased to hear Clancy Pendergast and Chad K be so upfront about Drake and how much they like him. But also, hey, this kid's going to see the field. You know, him and Christian Rector are kind of the the pair together that need to be on the field. Kind of on the same line. I had the defensive line and also Christian Rector on my stock up. Specifically from what we saw on in the spring showcase, I think when you really let uh, Christian Rector loose and be able to attack like he did on, on Saturday. It was interesting because we always see from a ground level. It was nice to see what this defensive line line looks like from a, an aerial view, if you will, just because you can see how quick they are, are off the ball. Christian Rector did have what we kind of saw in 2018 where he'd get there but not really wrap up or bring the guy down. He had one of those uh, in the showcase, but Marlon Tulipolo too was there to bring. I forgot which quarterback what it was, but basically – sack that quarterback so i'm really impressed with chad k you make fun of me for it but i am impressed with chad k i think he's done a good job so far i it's still wait and see for me but i think that this defensive line has taken a step forward um and i think christian rector if he can be that consistent guy will really be an impact player this season you know i think drake jackson is pushing him too you know both of them play at the same time in the showcase a, a bit that hasn't really been the regular you know you've seen them together at times but on the other side of them, he, a lot of times it's been Drake Jackson is coming in behind Christian Rector. But on the other side, you've seen Hunter Eccles, you've seen Abdul Malik McLean, you know, those guys, you know, the, the former Predators coming off that end, and Hunter Eccles being banged up. I think that gave some opportunities to say, let's try the, both of those guys in there at the same time with their hands on the ground, you know, see what they do. Um, so you've seen them a little bit, but I think that, you know, I think Christian Rector is being pushed by Drake Jackson saying, if I don't perform and, hey, Hunter Eccles or Abdul Malik McLean starts getting sacks on the other side, and Drake Jackson's putting up numbers too. He's the guy that's going to start over me. So you feel that start feeling that pressure that I don't want to lose my starting spot to a freshman. And you start, you know, you try to pick your game up a little bit more. And I think just the last season where he was, you know, he wasn't able to get the quarterback down when he had a bunch of pressures. I think that's driving him as well. You know, I, you know, I talked to him in the off season. He said, you know, it's all about half seconds. You know, he felt like he was a half second away a lot of times, so he had to get that half second. So those were small things he was working on in his game to try to gain a half second, whether it's you know a half second where you get to the quarterback or a half second earlier and you were able to pull the quarterback down. You know, rather than him taking that one step away in the pocket. You know, those little things like that. So I think he's really been dri- driven there. You know, talking about the defensive line, you know, I thought they had a really good thing. Can I just jump in really quick? Go Cause, for it. Because I think Chad K was saying that the the 
big question mark going into the season is can they get both Drake and Christian Richter on the field? They, that's something that they want to do. That's something that he said that Clancy Pendergast wants more speed uh, up front. And that's kind of what the change was as far as from 2018 to 2019. And we did see sometimes where they'd push Christian Rector and, and Drake Jackson on inside and have them be interior guys and then put like Hunter Eccles um, on the outside and making a, a quick like third down package or something like that. So th- we've seen them kind of experiment. The thing with Clancy is I don't think we really know like, okay, this is just a, a degaff. <laughs> let's try this. And like, this is actually what we're going to see when a game comes. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious how that, that shakes out. And Clancy may just look at a matchup and say, you know, we're going to do this, this game. True. You yeah. know, Pally and Itiote comes in as a Sam linebacker to start his first career start against Washington state. And then you never see him at that spot again. Yeah. You know, that, that's depending on how injuries kind of play out. But I was going to say on the defensive line, another guy that stood out to me and is a surprise, I think is Dejon Benton, the freshman, you know, he was in the backfield a couple of times last game yesterday in the showcase. I think he's showing now, granted he's going up against the second team offensive line and I do not have a lot of good things to say about that group as a whole um, but I think he as a freshman you know we, you, you see a three-star guy that USC kind of steals late in the cycle was not a guy we you know had, had been on really a lot in the recruiting process and suddenly he comes to campus and he's already making some plays out there so he I think he's been a surprise you know I, I think that maybe you expected him to maybe grow a little bit before he starts making some plays but you know he's been in there and getting opportunities because you've had guys like Jacob Lichtenstein out in the middle and, and he's been able to to make some plays with that second group so he's been a guy that's definitely on my stock up and a guy I'm keeping an eye on a little bit more yeah he was someone that was surprising in that sense because I kind of had lumped him into a group of like oh, that guy needs time to develop and then maybe we'll see him and and he was impressive at least in the the fall showcase I had along with freshmen that people might have written off Maneer McLean for stock up as well as Drake London um Granted, Chris Trevino and I did not write off Muneer McLean because we did an inside look <laughs> with Muneer before he came to USC. We got to talk to his high school coaches and, and kind of get a more inside look at who what makes Muneer click. Um, and, and the thing that we kept hearing was he was like a Julio Jones. That's the name that everyone kept comparing him to when we did that inside look. That So when I talked to him last year when he was coming off the injury, before you guys even got him, that's the guy that he wants to model his game after. He has similar size and... You know, he's got a lot of, I think he still has some baby fat. So I think when he, you know, finally tones his body up to where it's going to be, and, you know, as a, you know, as a collegiate athlete and potentially as a pro athlete, I think he's going to look a lot similar to what Julio Jones is physically. Now, that's a very, very, very high standard. I think yeah. Julio Jones may end up being the greatest receiver in the history of NFL football when he retires. So. I think that's a, a high standard to live up to, but yes, I see the characteristics that people talk about when you see it. You know, he has the speed; he has sneaky speed too. Yeah. You know, you saw that he had one play in, in the earlier practice in, in camp where I think it was a screen pass he caught, and he just kind of turned the corner, and it was like, oh, okay, that okay, the cornerback coming over is going to get him. Okay, maybe not. No, the safety coming over is gonna, no, no one called him. There was no angle there. He took the you know there should have been an angle there, and he he. Uh, ate up the angles both times with his speed. So he's got sneaky speed there when he gets the ball in his hands. Um, and, you know, he's able to go up and get the ball. And that's the case with this entire receiver group. You know, the guys that transferred out, the Trayvon Sidneys and maybe the Joshua Mortar Babies and Randall Grimes, guys that weren't getting on the field, they've been replaced by freshmen that are fighting to, to get on the field, even though you've got a lot of talent in that first team group. And it's going to be hard for those guys to get on there. But that's, again, will it though? I mean, the way 
Graham Harrell talks about it. He wants at least 10 receivers in this offense. So Clay Helton has said, hey, we want to get eight. Yep. You know, we want to get two, basically two groups of four. And they, they're talking about how they have a buddy system. So basically it's, you know, it's Michael Pittman and Munir or whoever it is. But there's a starter and a backup. And when Pittman gets tired after he runs a, you know, if he runs a vertical route or something, he taps his head, that guy's going in. You know, and that's kind of – and the, the the real question is, how do you make sure those guys come out – you know, and that's that's what Kerry Colbert. That's where he he's going to have to step in and say, "No, you're tired. You get out." Because yeah. if Juju was out there, there's no way he's coming. Out. Besides the seven times when he went down to the ground and the trainers had to come out to him, you know, those are the only seven plays he's coming out for the game. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be something interesting to see how much they rotate. How if it is, you know, four guys going in just to, for basically the shift change. They keep bringing up the Kentucky basketball. You know, the Memphis basketball when. I don't even know if Clay Helton was there at the same time as Calipari. Uh, that's an interesting question. He, he made it sound like he was, so I'm not sure if if not, but if he was or not. But you know, I, I think they want to try to do that shift change because they don't want to let the defense be able to, to rotate, you know, guys and sub. So you might see shift changes where you see three or four uh, wide receivers go in in replacement. Uh, so we'll see how that kind of works out. I don't think we really will understand how that works until we get into an actual game setting. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're trying to they're trying to do a lot of things, you know, to make it. Seem game like with the drives and stuff, and hey, go four or five plays. And Clay's even brought them up and said, hey, you know, th- this is a game like situation type of thing. But I don't think it really has the same impact until you get into the game and you see it's a true, you know, true ones versus twos, ones versus ones on the other side type of thing. Yeah, without a doubt. And so I think just in that sense, it's been, I think, for USC's receivers in the spring who were there was only five of them really besides walk-ons who were just winded every spring practice I think it was a nice thing to see other guys come up and make an impact like a Drake London like a Munir McLean and that they can kind of hang in there as a new guy so they were on my stock up I have Ben Griffiths I mean oh my goodness I don't even know if that's stock up it's just stock is it's sitting it's sitting on the top no it's sitting on the top of the mountain it's just it's there's nowhere for it to go right now stock peak Stock peak. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> you know, it's peaked right now. I don't think it's going any higher until we get into an actual game. But he, he you know, he had a fifty-eight yarder, I believe it was, that was caught on the eight-yard line. Now, granted, there was no, there's no rush, no anything else. But you see it, and you, I think there was a little bit of applause even from there the was, stands. There was. It was. It was pretty cute. And People were like, "Wow!" Pretty cute. <laughs> Uh, we have a question about him later, so we'll, we'll save him for a little bit later. I'm going to go to Raylan Goforth as another guy. He was on my stock up, yep. I mean, he he just continues to make plays every time he's out there. Now they're they're giving him a ton of opportunities. I will say that. He's probably getting more opportunities than maybe anybody else on the field. They're not playing John Houston a ton. I think they feel like they know what they have with John Houston, what he's going to be able to do. Can I jump in for really quickly? Do you agree with that? Because yes, I understand what they what they know about John Houston, but they, do they know a lot about John Houston at the mic position? That's a, that's a great question, and and that's the thing is. So the question becomes: How interchangeable are the mic and will? Is it just making the calls pre snap? Is that the only difference? If that's the case, then you know you 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 put him out there and you see that he's making all the right calls, and you say, okay, we know what we can do. If they're not, if there's a lot different type of stuff that they're asking from the mic versus the will. Then that's when you need to get those reps. Other, you know, if it's this, if it's basically an interchangeable spot, except one guy makes calls and the other one doesn't, then I don't think you have to put him out there. Yeah. And I think they're a little scared because Jordan Isefa got hurt. That would, yep. Because yeah. of his injury, and then Elijah Winston gets hurt, so you lose. And they moved Elijah Winston from the outside to the inside, and I thought he was he was making some plays on the inside too. Yeah. So I think when you lose those two guys that are basically we're going to be his backups as well. 
Um, I, I think with Raylan Goforth was in the mix in that in that same mix. I think they get a little scared and they say, "Let's give him some reps. We want to get continue to let him get better and better in case there's an injury." Because now, if you have an injury to John Houston or Palia Natiote, I'm assuming Raylan Goforth is going to be the guy to go in. Maybe Kanai Malga as well. Uh, but you know, I think he's the first guy right now, and he's he's got to get those reps to know what he's supposed to see. And so the game, you know, as they always say, slows down a little bit. And I think he just continues to make plays, and and that's why they're continuing to give him those reps. I think they want to just push him up to speed as as quick as they can. So they're just trying to give him more and more. And he packs a punch. I, he's one of those guys where you can hear him hitting. All right, like, let, there's let an me, EA, me, there's a solo, and there's a Raylan. Let me give you a little story about why I love Raylan Goforth. One of my favorite players that I've covered because he went to the Elite 11 camp. So the Elite 11 camp, you know, all the best quarterbacks in the country come, and they try to compete to earn those final spots to go to the opening and, and try to show themselves. There's a camp that's held in Southern California. So he comes out. Trent Dilfer's teaching it up. There's some other guys. This was the year that Matt Corral was out there with USC. I remember talking to him. And so they bring in some some – uh, some of the local defensive players. And so Bosco will bring us some of their players out. You'll see some modern-day players out there defensively so they can do some seven-on-seven seven stuff. There's some older guys, too. There's some college guys that are teaching guys up that are, you know, that are participating as well. Raylan Goforth drew Trent Dilfer's ire because he was, he, he was like, Trent Dilfer got mad. He's like, you're just supposed to be giving him a look. If I'm on a football field, I'm out here to play and I'm going to make some plays. And he got mad at him because he was doing too much on the field. Oh, wow. And I was like, I love that kid right now. And he, like, uh, Gopher just kind of gives him a look. Like, what do you mean I, I'm just supposed to be giving him a look? Like, what are you talking about? I'm on the football field. Why am I supposed to be giving him a look? Your quarterbacks need to do better. And it was just, it was a great moment for me to see. And I loved it. And I was really excited to see that kid. And, and the fact that USC became a school that was looking at him because of that moment and I just wanted to cover him for a couple more years you know after seeing him make that make Trent Dilfer mad at wow. Elite 11 camp that's a that's a great anecdote for Raylan <laughs> Goforth uh moving on I had Marquis Step on stock up um now I think this is something that we had kind of recognized last season where in practice we could see that he could be like the bruiser type of guy the the getting those hard yards type of runner but I think you could really see it in this fall camp, especially just because Vivai Malapai has been out. You've seen increased reps for Marquis Step and and Quincy Junti, um, and they've been kind of holding back Stephen Carr. A little bit of an eye raise, eyebrow raise there, but I think we've seen a lot of reps for Marquis Step, and he seems like that guy where they know his role on this team and as far as a runner and what situations they want to put him in to get those yards. So I think a uh, stock up for Marquis. And he was on my stock up from the spring because he got a ton of reps then with with uh, you know some guys out he was on there again because you look at him in the fall showcase he has two short yardage touchdowns and the second one he breaks two tackles to get into the end zone on a two-yard run you know that's what they they're going to need that guy that's going to be able to pick up those those tough yards and hey if you're in a college football fantasy football league marquee step might be the guy because there's been multiple times where for example there was a play yesterday where tyler vaughn's catches the ball deep ball he ends up at the one yard line so you make those throws, you end up at the two or the three or four yard line. You need somebody that's going to finish off those drives. And in an air raid where you're spreading them out, if you've got a bruiser guy that can run in there and pound the ball in the middle, that's, that's going to be huge for them. Uh, so I, I think he was on my stock up. But I would also point out that, that Stephen Carr has looked like he had the burst back. You know, he's made some guys miss. And you go, ooh, did he, I just see that? Okay. And Clay Helton even said he thought he had the burst back. So I don't want to get too excited yet. I don't want to push him up on the stock up yet, but I just put a little note, just make a little note. 
We're seeing a little sign of it, a little asterisk. Maybe it's coming back. You know, you really want to see that kid be healthy and yes. 100% because of what he's had to go through the last two years. So let's see what happens when we get to the season. Are you just saying this because you predicted here on the Family Feud podcast two years ago that uh, Stephen Carr would win a Heisman in his junior year? I said it would be a Heisman finalist. You did not. I said it would be a Heisman You said finalist. he would I'm win. I'm pretty sure I just said a finalist. Mm, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I said a finalist. But... but but that does not hurt me wanting to see him uh, get back to his old ways. But do you really think he has the burst back? I'm a little hesitant. I've seen, you know, he's making guys miss. I don't know that he's going, that he's the same where he can make a guy miss and then the acceleration is there where he takes off and, you know, he can. But the fact that he's making guys miss, because I just think that was, that was missing to an extent last year too. And I think that it's coming back. And I don't want to put it up there yet. I don't want to say that he is back, but. You know, I'm putting an asterisk by it and saying, let's let's make sure we keep an eye on this. Yes. So something to watch for, yes. for sure. My last stock up was uh, Chase Williams. You know, I think he, well. he's been great in the nickelback spot. You know, I think I kind of said to Isaiah Polamau, I was talking to him last week was, you know, when you come into the fall, it's basically all the positions are open except for maybe Chase Williams because he's kind of locked down that nickel spot. But now you're wondering, is it nickel he's locked down or is it safety? He, he's cross training at both. You know, I think he's going to be in the starting lineup regardless. I think he's the one guy that you can kind of confirm right now. Even with we've seen some other guys that have been with the first team for the most part. Isaiah Paul Mao, maybe you can say him too. He's basically been at, you know been at free or strong safety almost the entire time. Chase Williams has been first team almost every play that he's been in. Yeah, I think that's right. Where would you want to see Chase ideally? Which spot? You know, I like him in that nickel spot because you know what we heard from Greg Burns, what they want from that nickel spot is versatility, utility. Can he can he be a pass rusher? Can he also be a run stopper? You know, I think Chase can do all those things as well as cover. You know, and so if he's if you want somebody that's there at the nickel, I think you want a bigger body. Now that you know it was asked about Isaiah Paul Mao potentially and he was like, no, I think he's too big to play that position. So I, it's just kind of a question mark of what exactly they want from that spot. Uh, you know, with Ajene there last year, Ajene's not coming up and being a run stuffer per se. Now, Ajene is a willing tackler and willing to get in there, but he wasn't a great tackler. So I would rather have somebody, you know, I like the lineup that they had a few years ago with the three safeties in there because, you know, with Leon McQuay, Chris Hawkins, and Marvell Tell, because a safety gives you a little bit more options, I think, as a pass rusher and as a run stopper. You know, so you know, I think Chase Williams can play either spot there. I really like him. I think he's had a really good good uh, fall camp as well. I talked to him for like 10 minutes. A about, lot of personality. Yeah, a lot of personality, but also just really introspective where you can kind of get a sense of his world, what he's seeing about the team and, and his thoughts on everything. And it was a good conversation and that will be up, I believe on the same day that you're listening to this. So if you want to check that out, check it out. He talks about the differences he's seeing in the, in the line. Uh, I mean, in the defensive backs and speaking of which I have been pretty impressed with just the leadership we've seen from Talano Hufunga and Isaiah Polamau as the two safeties. They seem like guys who are really, um, they're not veterans, but they kind of act like they are. And I, I like the way that they're talking and, and, leading that group i wasn't sure if there was going to be a clear leader on defense besides maybe john houston or christian rector uh and christian rector is a guy that everyone's identified as really taking a step up forward as far as leadership goes but i i've, I've been impressed from what we've seen from Polamau and, and hufunga as well I, I think you look at the safeties and that was a big question mark coming in is where are you going to find leadership you know you got john houston you got christian rector 
Do you have somebody in the secondary? And I think those two guys stepping up is really big for them. Just you know, having leaders in that, especially with how many young faces you have in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the Chris Stills, the Adonis Otis, to the Kalana Makala, you know, all those guys that you have there, and there's still four or five other freshmen there. That's how many freshmen are coming in. They need leadership and guidance, and I think those two guys have really stepped up, like you said. Without a doubt. Now, if we want to add a, an asterisk column, you got to put in – Stephen Carr. Okay. My asterisk is Devin Williams. He's one of those guys who who shows out in certain instances, and then people kind of take that and apply it to how he's practiced the whole fall camp, which he had a good fall showcase, but he's been off and on for all of fall camp. He's a guy who sometimes his effort ebbs and flows. I feel like he gets a little particular about where the ball is and, and sometimes doesn't want to go for it. You know, So Devin Williams has that potential. He can be a star in this lineup but I just haven't seen that consistently enough from him and so I think some people got really excited about Devin Williams on Saturday and for me it's like let's put an asterisk there because I haven't seen enough for me to jump on that bandwagon I mean I think he still had two drops in the fall showcase as well I know he had one for sure I think there was a second one that's been the biggest issues the the consistency there consistency there and he was asked about it last week he said, I don't think that that's a big problem for me catching the ball. It's just a lack of focus. And I wanted to go, it, it can't just be one or the other. It's they combine to create an issue. You, your lack of focus creates you not catching the ball consistently. So that's something he's got to work on. He's got he's to be able to lock in. He's got to work on tracking the ball, different things, be on the jugs machine all the time. Um, you know, there, there's some different things. Now, I'm going to go ahead and get to one of my hurdits because we're talking about it. But, sure. but listening to Chris Steele, Chris Steele is a <laughs> freshman. And I'm, I'll, I'll back this up a little bit more and talk about it a little bit more in that segment. But Chris Steele is yelling at him, you can't catch, basically. He says he can't catch the ball. He can't catch. Yelling at him across the field. And now they've got a little rivalry going back and forth, and it's fun to watch. Which I do enjoy. Yeah, it's fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, if someone's yelling that at you, that usually tells you that there is a there is an issue there. They're not just going to. No one's yelling that at Michael Pittman. No one's yelling at Alvin Ross St. Brown. Yeah, no one's yelling that at Jerry Rice. Like, hey, you can't catch. You know, th- yes, of course these guys can catch. When you have issues and you drop the ball a couple times, then hey, it, it becomes uh, be, becomes a thing. So Devin Williams has to, if he wants to become the receiver that he is capable of being. He he's basically a, he's a, he's tantalizing right now. You see the talent there. You see what he can do. The fade routes are look amazing right now. He can go up over anybody and catch the ball. But he has to find the consistency. He has to find out what the referee is going to allow him to do and and what they're not going to allow the, the or going to allow the cornerbacks to do because he's been going back and forth with the refs a lot. You know, he's been called for some push-offs during practice because the refs are there at practice. Give a lot of credit to Clay Helton and the administrators that have funded that, but I, I think that he's got to learn from that now. They're getting that opportunity to find out what's going to be allowed and what's not going to be allowed. He's got to learn from it, and he hasn't done that yet in fall camp. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, of a youthful stubbornness in that sense of the, the what you just talked about. It's I just It'll be interesting to see how he develops in that sense. I know all about youthful stubbornness. <laughs> I even know about old man stubbornness now. You're just stubborn in general. How that's, about that? And speaking of which, <laughs> great transition because you're stubborn and won't admit that it's a thing. Stock neutral. This is not a thing. I'm it, not even going into this this time. It's but, a thing. Hey, just go ahead and name some things that haven't changed. Okay. Stock, stock unchanged. No, gotcha. Stock neutral. Go for it. I have one person here, and then for me, it's actually Keaton Slovis. We had kind of heard that he was... In the number two range as far as the depth chart goes. But I think once real game-like situations started happening in practice where he had to make his progressions, make his reads, it got a little bit too much for him. Youthfulness showed. 
But the thing is, is I feel like it was a regression to the mean because I feel like in this system, it's a quarterback friendly offense. So Keaton Slovis played well. And Kurt Warner was saying he was his offensive coordinator in high school. It was a similar scheme. So he did well in this offense, but I think it was just he's still young. And you're not going to, I don't think you're going to play a true freshman like Keaton over someone like maybe JT Daniels or even a Matt Fink. So he exceeded expectations as what we thought from Keaton from spring and fall, but he's still the freshman quarterback. Whatever. I hate you. Moving on, stock down. I do have stock down. I don't know what this stock neutral bull crap is. Um, let me just go ahead and list what I had in the fall, I mean, in the spring for my fall, because I had three of them that are basically the same. Start with QB separation. There is still not the QB separation that you would want. You know, you would want somebody to take the reins of that. And it's not that – it's just no one's outplayed everyone else that much. You know, everyone's kind of been in the middle. You know, no one has been terrible. No one has been like JT Daniels was last fall. JT Daniels last fall was like, no doubt this guy's going to win it because he was hitting on everything. You know, I think that there's different assets that different guys bring, but – you just don't have that separation. And it comes down to kind of what do the coaches want out of that position, I think. You know, different guys bring you different tools, and they're all kind of on that same plane. So it comes down to how many years do you have in this offense? I think that's going to play a factor into it. I think that really hurts Matt Fink. You know, he's a redshirt junior. Do you really want to start him over three younger guys if he's the same level? No, I think he's got to be above anybody else to earn that starting spot. So I think he's out of the competition. You know, I think that Jack Sears brings something different with his legs and his escapability. Is that what you're looking for in this offense? You know, Graham Harrell's quarterbacks haven't typically been that way, but he hasn't had many quarterbacks. Let's, let's not forget that. He's a very young offensive coordinator. Um, so, you know, I think the QB separation is, is still something that's stocked down because no one has really put themselves in the front and said, this is my job. I don't know why anybody else is competing. I don't want to preempt our agree-disagree segment, but – I was going to ask you about this just because Graham Harold told us at the end of the last practice of spring where we got to talk to him, when we asked about making a decision about the quarterback, he said, you know, at some point you're going to, you're going to see it. You're going to know. We don't even have to tell you. You're going to know who the, the starter should be. And I don't think we can fully say that. Is that concerning that a guy, I mean, JT can't even match the separation that he had in fall this time around. Is that concerning at all that no quarterback has been able to, to do that? I think part of his separation last fall is because the other two guys didn't play that great. AKA, you think that Sears and Fink have they've stepped their games up to an extent. Yeah, I think I think these offenses are better suited for them to an extent. Um, a st- again, with, with Jack Sears, you know his escapability, his playmaking ability after the play breaks down is hard to see in a practice. So it's hard to see what he fully can do. I think you know the showcase showed it a little bit. He had a one run. He had two two scrambles. I think, um, and I think Keaton Slovis had a chance where he could run. He you know, checked his receivers again and then took off running and picked up some yards. So you saw a little bit more in the showcase, but it's hard to tell to an extent on, on those aspects. But in the other step, I, I think it's just that you have four guys that are quality guys, but none of them has shown superstar talents this fall necessarily. You know, that superstar consistency is probably a better 
you know, we've seen some really nice threaded throws from like Matt Fink. Matt Fink had one practice where he had two throws back to back, and I was just like, whoa, those are eye popping throws, fitting them between a safety and a cornerback. You know, King Slovis did that. I, one of the, my favorite throws he had, or probably my favorite throw he's had as a USC quarterback is through an interception. Very next play, he threads the needle between the safety and a linebacker to hit the tight end over for a 15, 18 yard gain. And it was just a tremendous throw. So, you know, you're seeing glimpses and maybe that's just because you're learning a new offense and how much does that play into it it is supposed to be a super simple offense but the plays are super simple the number of plays the questions then come on the options off of every play so you know I I talked about this with some of the receivers and some of the quarterbacks about how different this offense is you can install it in three plays instead I mean three days instead of 15 or 20 that it was previously but you know, a single four verticals route can have 15 to 20 different combinations of routes run off of it. So it's getting the quarterbacks and the receivers in sync so they know exactly what the other one is going to do on each play. So they throw the same route the other guy's running. And that is part, that's the progression of this offense, I think. And that's what you're seeing in this fall is still learning each other. Now you have all the receivers, you know, that's a little bit different having this full complement of receivers and guys that are fresh instead of hey it's it's the team period and these five guys have already run five miles a day and now you're trying to get them to go full speed and they're exhausted yeah I think it's just different than what it was in the the spring and now trying to find their way in the fall and how much are they fully given a full opportunity to show themselves with a first team offense and have that rhythm and have enough reps where they can come in and feel comfortable and and have that opportunity to separate themselves because rotating four quarterbacks through different types of, of combinations of levels of lines and whatnot. Can you really get a rhythm going? If my point being, if for some reason they came in day one of fall camp and said, it's between Matt Fink and JT Daniels. And we're going to each time they go out there, they'll be paired with the first team O line. Would we see someone separate themselves because they've had enough opportunities with that combination i mean i think it helps and i think that there's a big discrepancy between the first team and second team offensive lines um so i think that you're seeing what guys can do and to an extent jt daniels looks a lot better with the first team offense because he's not gonna escape to an extent jack sears looks a lot better with the second team offense because then he can escape the the sam Darnold effect yeah and so it's it's hard to tell, and when you have four guys and you're trying to split up all those reps, it's it makes it hard for the whole rhythm thing. Out, people that give the whole rhythm thing, you know, you watch it. I think QB one there was there was, or not QB one, some one of the shows that's on Netflix. Uh, Last chance you or something. There was a quarterback competition. I can't get in a rhythm. You know, that's kind of bullcrap. Get out there and freaking make some plays, and you'll be in a rhythm to an extent. You know, this thing, the same thing comes up in baseball. And hitters are like, well, I, I, I got two at-bats, and then he got pulled, and I couldn't get in a rhythm. Get, get in a rhythm. See the ball, hit the ball. See the defense, throw the ball. You know, it's you don't need to get in a rhythm. Are you warming up your arm to get in a certain – like uh, those things that are a little bit overblown to an extent, I think. The rhythm is just being comfortable and not feeling that pressure behind you that I got to make a play this this exact play or else someone's coming in. So that's the that's the pressure. It's not about rhythm and you know, I get I you know I got comfortable and I felt good in the pocket then. I think that's BS to an extent. So I think with the rhythm thing with the quarterbacks, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just the getting the reps, getting the reps consistently. 
and knowing exactly where other guys are going to be. Now, if you want to call that rhythm. Because I was going to argue, you could say that rhythm in this offense means chemistry with your wide receivers because the ball's coming out so fast. I would say that's chemistry more than rhythm. But they could be the same thing. Just knowing what the other person's going to do, I think. Uh, I think that that's the biggest thing with this offense because the option routes and stuff is knowing where they're going to be. I don't think it's necessarily a rhythm of, all right, three steps, i got to throw it here, those type things. As far as like, it's not like dance moves rhythm. I, I I guess people say it in the sense of like flow chemistry. Like I think chemistry is a better word there. I think, but I think that people are using rhythm as an all-encompassing word. Yeah, and people shouldn't because semantics are important. <sighs> oh my goodness! Uh, to continue our stock down though, because we're going to talk about this more. Uh, and you mentioned it. I had the second team offensive line on my stock down. Th- there is such a drop off between the first team offensive line and the second team, and that's something that if you're a USC fan, should be concerning if there's injuries. I just don't think we see the same amount of production. I don't think they can really run the ball with the second-team offensive line. I just don't think that there's enough guys with experience to put out there. Now, Clay Hilton seems pretty impressed with Liam Jimmins. He was someone that uh, he highlighted in his post-practice presser after the fall showcase. But I I just don't think that that team from what we've seen in spring and even now in fall camp has really taken a step up to match the the level of, of competition we've seen from the first team and is giving enough fight for the first team uh, so that they feel like their jobs are in jeopardy. Okay, I'm going to say this. I, I think this, I got offensive line on stock down. I think the entire group, like, if you can't run the ball, I got run game on here as well. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was also from the spring, run game was. They ran the ball none in the fall showcase. They couldn't get any yards. Like I think their longest run was five or six yards. They had, you know, there was one or two plays where there were some good holes for Stephen Carr. Uh, but besides that, and that's the first team. That's the first team that he was with. But besides that, there just was not any hole. There was there was one run I remember where I think it was Stephen Carr again, but he was touched three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and that was with his blocker still in front of him. They were just they just got pushed back four yards. And that's, that's not good. That was Drew Richmond and I think Jalen McKenzie on the right side. Now, you're mixing and matching a lot of – with Drew Richmond, you know, trying to throw him in different spots and Jalen McKenzie moving him around, Andrew Voorhees. And all of it kind of stems a little bit from the fact that Austin Jackson is still not, you know, 100%, you know, allowed, allowed to go in every uh, portion of practice. Very close, but not 100%. So I think it stems from that. I got Drew Richmond on my stock down as well. You know, I yeah. thought SEC, you, know, you think SEC starter, you know, multiple year starter in, in SEC school, he's going to come in and he probably should be taking the spot, right? He hasn't looked great. He struggled at times. You know, he, he's going to be in that mix, I think, just because they need that experience there. And I think he, he can bring some good experience to that group and kind of tell them about, you know, playing against Alabama and the, the defensive fronts that he sees at LSU and some of the different things that they see in the SEC. However, he has not been a standout. And you would hope that a, any grad transfer, not not to sell him short or anything, but any grad transfer that comes in, you they need to be a standout. Especially when you're one to play one. That's what I mean, because you only have one yep. year. So if you're a grad transfer, you got to come in and make an impact. Stevie Toa Kalavatu did that. He yep. came in, and you're like, where's this guy been? How did he not get on the field all the time at Utah? I don't know why that didn't happen. You know, he changed a, a little bit different front, and suddenly he excels on what he is. But Drew Richmond has not excelled. The offensive line has not excelled. A lot of question marks there. I think it comes back to physicality again as well. But I've got a lot of questions in the second team offensive line. Is there's a big drop off there, like you said. However, you brought up Liam Jimmins. I'm going to make a, a statement that might just seem preposterous, but I think he plays in the NFL on the offensive line at some point. Wow. I think he is super raw right now. But he's athletic. He's huge. 
And if he continues to improve the way we saw from the beginning of spring to the end of the spring, hopefully from the beginning of fall to the end of fall, I think he's a guy that eventually gets gets playing time on that offensive line, probably at tackle. He's, he's a huge dude. And I think he finds a way to play in the NFL too. I think he's another guy that you could see like Jordan Simmons where he doesn't get a ton of playing time at USC. Now Simmons was more injury related, but yeah. you know, if he doesn't get to play until next year and maybe he gets one year of playing time, I still think I think he might be an NFL guy. And it makes you wonder just because they had talked about moving him to the other side of the ball a year prior to when he actually did. So KU kind of let that release happen. Where would Jimmins be now if he has a year under under his belt? It makes you it makes you think. But it, it is a curious thing to ask. But also you saw big improvements on the defensive line from him too. I think True. he's just one of those guys that was undersized uh, coming out of high school. It was La Mirada High School or it was no, Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach High School. So not the best competition. So you know I think he had to grow up a lot as a football player. And I think you're seeing that maturation. And this is what you should see from guys that redshirt their first year, and eventually they become big-time contributors for him. That's what you should see in a program, and I think he's a guy that, hey, I think eventually he's on the NFL roster as an offensive lineman. Very interesting. But, yeah, as far as the offensive line goes, I'm still very much – that was a concern coming into fall camp, still is for me. I just don't know – I don't know how you get them to progress at this point. I think it's kind of – it is what it is, and you got to see – you kind of hope that getting the ball off quickly – suits this offense well so that they can kind of get less pressure off of the offensive line I mean I was encouraged by the fact that we're I mean Tim Draveno was just like it's cross training it's only cross training but I did like seeing them switch things up a little bit maybe moving in uh Jalen McKenzie to right guard seeing what that I wouldn't call it a death lineup but trying to see okay who are the best five guys versus hey this guy's solidified in there like we saw with Neil Calloway last season so and also put more pressure on guys that, hey, yeah. if you don't perform, we're going to move this other guy here. That's what I'm saying. I like that they're doing that. Whether or not that translates to a better offensive line, I'm not sure yet. But I just – because, like, I heard that they're still doing the same techniques that Neil Calloway did. They haven't really changed that coaching philosophy. And so, for me, I'm like, what do you really – I don't know. I, there's a lot of question marks for me. I haven't heard that necessarily, but – if that's the case, that's a big red flag. Yes. I heard that and from someone, and I haven't confirmed it from other people, but I have heard it, and so it just it is concerning. If that's the case, then you the, the one potential saving grace would be that, well, Neil Calloway could teach it up, but you, you couldn't, he couldn't get him to apply it. And that maybe that's the case. Uh, you know, that, I still, like I said, I think that's a red flag if that, if that ends up being the truth. Agreed. I think this is an obvious one, but I had Solomon Tulalapupu as stock down. So I, I kind of had a middle linebacker in mind because, you know, at the end of the spring, I had John Houston slash Jordan Isefa because they were in the competition. They're both older guys. Jordan Isefa gets hurt. Solomon Tulia Pupu obviously had to have another surgery, which, you know, obviously he's going to, I think he's done for the year. So that one, Elijah Winston has a, you know, a long-term turf toe, they're saying. So he's going to be out for a while. The middle linebacker position, it just, you thought you had like 47 bodies there because they moved everybody in the spring, but you know, now it gets, seems like you're getting really thin as far as your experience there. Yeah, so stock down for him um, just because he's another guy where we all we all said, until he plays two weeks, we're not... You, we, there was not we all said. I said it, and you guys were like, oh, that's probably a good statement. Okay, but that was my Daniel Bebe theory that you applied to Solomon Tull. No, it's not. It I said was. until he practices for two weeks straight, I wasn't talking about him. Okay, whatever. My And I've repeatedly said that my, on Tunnel Vision my final, and the show. 
my and any other show. <laughs> my final and any other show. <laughs> my final stock down, and I told you this in practice the other day, and I don't know if this is fair or not. I just feel like the fall camp vibes are stocked down. It didn't really feel like fall camp to me. In my mind, fall camp is there's not really a real regular season schedule. It's just it felt neutered to me. In what way? Because it already felt like they were in regular season practice schedule where we knew everything that was coming. The players knew everything that was coming. It was pads Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then no pads, then full pads. You know, it it had a rhythm to it that I feel like. The routine has already started, yeah. Yes, thank you. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't like having a routine in fall camp. I think that's when you should not have the players get comfortable, physical every day, try and get something out of your team, try and get the most out of your team during fall camp when you can, and then switch into routine mode. To go into routine mode at the start of the season, to me, seems too early. And how well did that routine do last year? Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it seemed like they went in and said, okay, well, we're going to start on a Friday. So we're going to set this up and have you know, a particular routine. And that means walkthroughs on Fridays and we'll have a couple scrimmages on Saturdays and we'll, you know, we'll assess from there instead of saying, Hey guys, guess what? We're going full pads today. You went full pads yesterday, but today we're scrimmaging. We're going to like just out of the blue and see how guys react. I, I think sometimes you got, you got to hold some things back. Even if you have it planned, you have to hold it back from the players and see how they respond to things because that's what's going to happen in the game. Hey, a fumble happens. Defense takes it the other way for a touchdown. Suddenly you're down 10 nothing in the first three minutes of a game. You go, well, what are we going to do now? Well, this isn't the routine. Well, we had planned to score every time we had the ball. Well, things don't happen like that. You got to change the routine. You got to be able to, you know, sudden change type of things. I think that that would be good. I mean, you know, go scrimmage and have full on full thud and say, hey, we're going to hit each other in just shoulder pads. You know, just shells. Be like, hey, we're going to hit each other this today. You're going to go after each other for this one period. And then pull it all back. You know, just things that keep them off balance instead of it becoming a routine, becoming, you know, and, and that's – I've talked to talk with coaches a lot, and I, I think I've said this on the show before, but I've talked with coaches in the past about how you have to keep things fresh, with particularly with the generation that we, of players currently that are used to fast response, fast reaction from social media and everything else that they've been taught and they've grown up with. You have to keep them on their toes to an extent – and switch things up every once in a while so they don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, if that means don't bring the ice cream truck to, to camp, which we haven't seen yet, but I think it's next week that it normally shows up, you know, then don't do it. You know, but if it means bringing the in and out truck randomly and just, hey, here's a surprise. You guys practiced really well yesterday. We called them up, and this is what we do. Then do that. I mean, I think that if you get into a routine too quickly, then and especially if you, you – now, if you win every game and you're in a routine, that works really well. But if you struggle at the beginning of the season and you got really t- six tough games, then are you going to keep that same routine and be like, "Oh, we're fine. We'll just we'll just, we'll just fix it as we go." Are you going to fix it? I don't, I don't. We didn't really have confidence they fixed anything last year. And and that's the thing is like, can this team make those mental hurdles when those hurdles arrive? And that's not what we we didn't see that last season. And so when you like you said when you put them in this routine where they know what's coming and they don't have to react to adversity you're not gonna anything you practice you will get better at so why not have this team respond to adversity now to be fair we were told at one practice that they were gonna blow the three horns but then be like jk you have another team period that you're gonna do you thought practice was over and it wasn't but we didn't really see that really transpire i just thought that the offense did up downs afterwards (laughs) and then they didn't actually do another team period 
But that was planned, I think. I don't know if they actually did it. I'm looking to you for confirmation here. Yeah, I didn't see. Like, it wasn't like, oh, wait, I thought we were done. Oh, gosh, this is crazy. No, and then we're going again. That. Yeah, I didn't no. see that. So, But I like that idea. Yeah, I just, let them relax for a second. All right, break it down. Now get back out there. Let's go. We're going one more time. Yeah, I don't think. I, I'd be pr- that's a good idea. Yeah. Add it to my list of. Which they I- had, but didn't really implement, which is confusing. But yeah, so that's why, uh, to me, it didn't really feel like fall camp. I don't know if that's a fair critique or not. I just think that having this team knocking in a, a regular routine would have benefited them. Anyway, let's move on to Heard It on the Sideline. Since we were able to watch all of fall camp practices in, in their entirety, we've heard some things. What did you hear in fall camp? I already touched on it a little bit, but Chris Steele, you know, just screaming at another receiver across the way that he can't catch, he can't catch. You know, he's bringing that intensity, uh, and it's something that it was kind of lacking. The guys that departed, Iman Marshall, Marvell Tell, Jenna Harris, Jonathan Locke, that's a lot of guys that are departed. But, you know, Jenna was kind of would be a little chirpy, but he was just so respected that it didn't have that. Same time and intensity. It didn't get under your skin. Like yeah, that. it didn't get under your skin. Whereas Chris Steele comes in, he brings that intensity and he starts getting under people's skins. He ratchets up the competition a little bit. And I think that that's what you've seen from these DBs, you know, the young guys coming in, this wide receiver group. I think there's been really good competition there, which is why I think even though the, the DBs struggled in the, the fall showcase, I think they've improved probably the most this fall camp. Yeah, I would agree. And I like that fire. Sometimes you need that little bit of a feistiness. And, you know, you, you had that. You haven't really had that since Jack Jones left. And the Jack Jones is now showing up at Arizona State. Is gonna should be immediately eligible there. So we'll see if he uh, tries to get under the skin of any of the re- USC receivers when they play, if he is in the lineup uh, later this season. I'm sure he probably will. That date is probably circled in his calendar. I had an interesting heard it. Now, we mentioned Adonis Ote, the freshman cornerback. And we've kind of mentioned him in a negative sense that he was a little beat up on uh, so far in fall camp. The learning curve is is steep for him as a, as a young guy. I don't guy. think we necessarily mentioned that what, what's happened to him, but he's got burned a few times. Yes. Well, I'm meaning and we've tweeted and talked oh, about okay, it. Gotcha. Maybe not necessarily in this podcast. but And so the thing about that, though, is that I felt like even though that was happening, the coaches were still investing him in him. We saw Clancy Pendergast. I saw him multiple times pull him over and talk to him one-on-one and tell him, like, hey, this is what you should have been doing, stuff like that. And same with Greg Burns, investing in him. And that's something where and, – and he's getting those looks. He's getting those reps over and over, even if he is getting burned. Granted, it's with, like, the lower teams, but I think it was interesting to see how much it, it seems like Clancy and Burns are are investing in him when that's someone that I wouldn't have necessarily earmarked for, hey, they're going to take a, a, a liking to this guy. And that's a great observation because it shows you that they really – like this kid they like the skill set that's there they see the raw skills you got to work and put it together now some guys come in and they're ready to go other guys are liam jimmons on the other side you know who is going to take some time to progress and you know guys that you know adonis ote is going to he's going to redshirt unless he's on a bunch of special teams he's probably going to redshirt this year and they're going to work to get him better and better each season and hey you you lose a couple guys in a couple years and suddenly he moves in he's the starting guy and that's what they're looking at out of him and it's always interesting to see who the coaches take their time to spend that extra moment with that extra teaching moment who they go over and talk to versus 
I don't really that kid's never going to play for me, so I'm not even going to take my time over there. I'm going to spend it with someone else, and that kind of shows you that they think he's a guy that can eventually be a player at USC. Yeah, and that's especially the case in camps too, as well. Those are the guys that you notice when you're filming or watching uh, them do reps and coaches invest in them. They usually get offers or something of that sort. So it it transfers both ways. Summer camps, not fall camp. Yes, my bad. You, you confused me for a second. So. My bad, my bad. <laughs> also, I got for heard it. You know, you, you look at. Uh, when the first time that they went full pads, full tackle, team session, they brought the defense together, they brought the offense together, the defense was closer to us, so we hear someone from the in- inside of the huddle, I don't know who it was, maybe Hunter Eccles, I-, I think is who you were guessing it was, who's like, this is what we've been waiting for, this is where we make our money, and they were ready to go, and that's something, I think that that's a great sign because the defense lost so many leaders off this team last year. Who was going to step up? Were they going to have someone step into that role and be the vocal leader on the sideline? Is, is you know John Houston's a quieter guy? Is, is there somebody else that you know that it doesn't have the experience that maybe John Houston does? Is it Christian Rector or someone else, or is it someone who's younger who hasn't had a bunch of playing time but stepped up and be a vocal leader? And I think you're seeing on the defensive side there's some guys that are taking that on. And I, I think the defense has has shown some things that you know maybe we didn't you know necessarily expect them to show this early in camp. Uh, in, in that regard as far as a leadership role. Now, this is not a hurt. It's a tangent. We've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about how the offense needs a leader. Do you think you've seen that so far in fall camp? I mean, the guy who went under the knife for his sister to have a bone marrow transplant, I think that immediately gets everyone's respect. Without a doubt. And the fact that he was, you know, he, he basically was planning to be a leader this offseason. And I think that he's taken on that role um, you know, it's it, maybe it's a little bit difficult because he was away from the team when he had the surgery. I'm talking about Austin Jackson here. Yes. Uh, you know, when Austin Jackson had the surgery to to help his sister out with the, the illness that she has, you know, maybe it's hard to, to be a leader there. But I think that he is probably the closest thing they have on that. Unless you name a quarterback and that quarterback becomes a little bit more vocal, you know, that could still happen. You know, JT Daniels or Jack Sears or Matt Fink, any of those guys that it takes over – I think with a little bit of experience, I think that's what was missing. It's hard, you know, Austin Jackson said this to, I can't remember exactly his words on it, but he basically said, it's hard to be a leader in a huddle as a freshman. When you yeah. or or just when you don't have any any experience, it's hard to be the the guy in the huddle that everybody looks to because you can't say, "Hey, I've gone through this before." Whereas a guy like Matt Barkley, two games into his career, he led them on the drive at Ohio State, and after that, you know, everyone can look to you and you say, "Hey, this is what I've done." You you have the credentials on your back uh, that the guys know that you can be that leader. So I think if JT Daniels wins this job, like we kind of expect, you know, I think he has a better chance to be a leader this year, just because he's no longer a freshman. He's got 11 games under his belt. Uh, you know, now he has an opportunity to potentially take over that huddle. But I think Austin Jackson's a guy that's been a little bit more vocal this offseason. I think that's been a positive for them. And as far as JT goes, that's what Graham Harrell said that he's made the most growth over the offseason was that leadership, um, which is interesting, interesting to see because we can't get a full picture about that. I would argue maybe another guy would be Michael Pittman. Maybe as far as the leader goes, um, you have a blank face. Do you not agree with that? I don't this? know. I, I just haven't seen him like pull guys aside or you know be the guy in the middle of the huddle talking to everyone necessarily. So I don't know that I would I would agree with that one. He he like Austin Jackson kind of earmarked it as like this is something I want to do and want to be. I want to be a captain now. Being a captain, and being a leader, could be two de- separate things. True. You know, so I don't know if maybe it's a behind the scenes thing, but like 
I, I think you're right. I don't see I don't hear guys talking about it. Like I've heard other defensive linemen talk about how much of a leader like uh, Christian Rector is and how different that is. But you don't really hear that with Michael Pittman necessarily. So I'm curious about that. You know something else uh, I just thought about that JT Daniels has going for him is that he knows all these new guys that are coming in. That's a great point. You know, versus you look at some of the guys that were on the team last year and, you know, is he got how much interaction has he had with Toa Lobendon before he got to USC? Probably not that many. Whereas Devin Williams, like he's, you know, he's thrown to him for years, Amon Ra, St. Brown, those guys. Now that new class of, of receivers comes in and, you know, he knows them from the camp circuit and different things, the seven on seven and stuff like that. He knows these new guys that are coming in. So now he's got two, maybe, maybe a, a three years of guys that he knows all of them. Now those older guys, Tyler Vaughn's Michael Pittman, he's probably did not have those interaction prior to his time at USC, but now he's known them for a full year. I think it just, there's more people that know him and he knows of them, those type of things. And I think that leads to better, you know, being a better leader when you know, you know, who people are, how they're going to react to certain situations. You know, the different personalities is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. So he knows the guys and knows their personalities and knows what makes them tick kind of thing, which makes you a better leader when you know all your people around you. Yeah. And, and in hindsight, I think definitely being the new guy is really hard to just join in and, and be that leader. And I think that was a hard thing to try and accomplish for JT Daniels, especially in an offense that wasn't uh, really productive in that sense. Um, do you have any more hurdles? Okay, I'm going to do rapid fire because I have a couple. Okay, uh, just some little tidbits. I remember on day two, Amon Ross St. Brown was a little little mouthy. Uh, there was a Slovis had an overthrown ball to Michael Pittman. It probably would have been a touchdown if they had connected. And Amon Ross goes, it, uh, Greg Johnson was on the coverage, and Amon Ross goes, "Hey nine, you're lucky." you're lucky meaning like it would have been a touchdown and he would have been burned uh, so that it's always fun when you catch a little bit of Amon Rod chirping uh, and then the other one was Chris Hawkins he's uh, GA uh, marching up and down the sidelines and usually near the end zone that's where he kind of camps out and so when USC was doing uh, a red zone period of practice uh, the offense did a creative play we can't say what it was just because we can't give things away but Chris Hawkins was pretty impressed by it. He usually is <laughs> trash talking and doesn't want to give the, the offense any credit, but he was like, that's a good ass play. That's a good play right there. So that was always funny. I love hearing Hawkins and what he has to say since we're close to him in the media event. And then the last one on Hurt on the sideline, ne not necessarily Hurt it, but we saw it. It was good to see John Jackson return. Uh, we didn't expect that, but we saw him pull up uh, and he was actually able to see uh, John Jackson play for the first time or the John Jackson third play for the first time in this fall. And so that was really cool to see. Um, um, and John Jackson actually has number 80 now, which from the press box, he kind of looks a little bit like Deontay Burnett. So it was a little trippy for me. And guess what? He has a similar path to Deontay Burnett, a guy that was not overly recruited, a guy that went Guardian of Sarah guys, uh, a guy that catches everything. You know, I've related him, you know, uh, made that comparison previously. You know, I think Deontay maybe had a probably better top end speed than, than John Jackson, but it just feels like when you watch those guys in seven on seven, you know, watching both of them, this is like that guy's always open. You know, he's always making a catch. You know, there might be pretty tight coverage uh, at times, but you're like, he still makes a catch. So you feel like you can throw it to him anytime you want. And I, I you know, I don't know that he's going to make a big impact this year. I don't, I don't really foresee that, but. Next year, two years down the road, when you, you lose some guys, I think he's a guy that's going to be a, a big time contributor at USC. And another guy that was he wasn't a blue shirt, but he has similar where you know he did not you know play the first year, so he had something different you know with his recruitment that like Deontay Burnett being a blue shirt. So uh, he was a 
gray shirt, I guess, or I technically think he so, yeah. did he come in? I don't know when he technically came in. So whether it was the December period after last season or if it was in the summer. So depending on that is how his color of his shirt works technically. <laughs> but you know he's had something different, you know, coming in. But yeah, I agree with that. One other uh, heard it that I had that I forgot about was uh, Taylor Mays has been around practice, mm, yeah. you know, a couple times. And earlier this past week, you know, he was at practice and he pulled the back three likely starting guys Isaiah Polamau to uh, Talano Hufunga and Chase Williams back and just started going over something I'm not gonna say exactly what they were you know talking about necessarily uh, but it was a certain drill and how they had needed to react in it and how they needed to play the drill and I you know I'd heard basically the entire conversation that I asked Isaiah Polamau after you know he basically was saying that Taylor Mays told them you got to practice like you play and you know Greg Burns can say that over and over and over and Chris Hawkins even to an extent can say that over and over but then when you have a, a guy that was an All-American, that was an NFL draft pick, you know, as a safety come in and tell you those things, you, you know, you hear it a little bit differently. So I just think it, anytime you – there's such a vast history of football, not football greatness, but football knowledge uh, from the alumni of this, the USC football program that anytime somebody comes around, you see those players soaking it in. That was what was really cool about it was just seeing those three guys. And it was a – you know, a five-minute conversation, ten-minute conversation. Like I was waiting around for a minute. I'm like, all right, can we hear this up so I can get this interview in? Yeah, type like, of thing afterwards. Uh, but you know, it was just really cool, kind of listening in and, and hearing what he had to tell them, and l- listening and seeing how they reacted to what he had to say. It was it was pretty cool that they were all really absorbed in it, and taking it in. And then Talano Hufunga spent I don't know how long with Taylor Mays afterwards, looking, you know, going over some small details in in his drops and different things out there too. So you know the it, it tells you a lot about those younger players USC has. They're trying to learn. They want to be really good. The guys that aren't experienced right now. Yeah, it's really cool when you can see those generations of different generations of USC football players connecting and, and passing down knowledge. It's cool that we got an inside look at that. And also credit to Helton for having that open-door policy for any USC alumni who want to come in and, and watch practice and kind of interact with the team. Yeah, because you can have some insecure coaches, not necessarily just the head coach, but position coaches, like don't listen to what he said. Why would uh, sorry, coach? But whatever position coach it is, but like why? Why would I not want to listen to that guy? No, I, I'm teaching you this way. Don't listen to him. And that can happen. And that can be it can be annoying when that happens because you want guys to learn as much as possible. Yeah, without a doubt. Alrighty, well, let's move on to agree disagree. Now, if you're new to this portion of the podcast, this is when I say a statement, and Shotgun can either agree or disagree with it, and we'll kind of battle it out and and show our or discuss our opinions on the statement and, dun, 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 dun. and if i say it that doesn't mean i necessarily th- agree with what i'm saying sometimes i put controversial things to spark the fire mm, you would okay let's go to the first one usc should have chosen its starting quarterback already and then i put a 1b to this a quarterback should already had separated himself i agree with number two more than i agree with number one b one b okay i agree with the second part <laughs> uh a quarterback needs to have separated himself that would be that would make it a lot easier for the coaches so that number one would, would be easy to do. I just don't think there's clear enough separation that you that they've wanted to say, okay, this is the guy, and then him have a bad, you know, if you did it last week, and then him have a terrible scrimmage, you know, at the fall showcase and have a terrible week two. And then you go, oh, do we make do we make a decision too soon? Now so I don't think that choosing a quarterback already should necessarily have been ha- have should have happened. However, trimming it down seems like that might have should have happened already now 
I my venture is to say on Tuesday we might find out that they've tried to they've trimmed it down. Now they trim it down to two, they trim it down to three. That may be another question. I would trim it down to two. You know, figure out whoever you two guys are, let them battle it out for one more week. Name a starter on Friday, or well, or if you're going to have a true scrimmage, usually mock game week they have a scrimmage where it's mostly second team guys. They get work. The veteran guys don't do too much. If you're going to have a true scrimmage on there, then let those guys compete it out and name a starter on next Sunday. That's what I would do. I and that's would, usually that scrimmage is usually when they announce captains as well. So you could yeah. do a whole announcement thing. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's the different ways you could do it, but I would have already trimmed that by now. We'll see if that happens this week and if they name somebody next week. But I would disagree with they should have chosen their starter yet just because it's been a pretty even competition. No one's really separated. So 1B plays into 1. Okay. Yeah, I I would agree. They I think they should have already narrowed it, and I do think someone should have separated himself by now. Already, the second one, freshman cornerback Chris Steele should start against Fresno State. This is a tough one, but I'm gonna go with disagree as of right now. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the the trio of veteran guys, I think they deserve the start so far. But I mentioned this last night on the Tunnel Vision show that I think that everyone's going to get some playing time and you're going to learn from that first and second games probably who are going to be the starters going forward. So I don't. I think that I, between Isaac Taylor-Stewart, Elijah Griffin, and Greg Johnson, I think two of those guys should probably start. And then Chris Steele is a guy that, that rotates in. Uh, but we'll, I mean, there's still two weeks. So that, that's, a, that's one of the bigger position battles where I think that there still could be a lot of change. Um, there and maybe maybe one of the offensive line spots, I, I, the, you know, whether it be the the right guard or right tackle, ver, you know, how they mix and match there. Those are the two probably biggest battles still. I would think, you know, I, I don't off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of any other really big uh, battles. You know, maybe where Christian Rector and then what's on the other side of him is Drake Jackson there or is there? A, but that's not really a position I was battle. About to say, that's more of a scheme battle. Yeah, you know, for the coaches, they're battling whether they want you know another guy with his hand on the ground or another guy standing up. So I, I think that the biggest position battles are at cornerback and on that offensive line still. To your point about the coaches battling about scheme, I actually talked to Clancy Pendergast. He was saying that at each notable checkpoint throughout the whole year, he sits down the whole defensive staff and they rank each player and what and how they feel of most importance and, and most talented player. So if they have a critical situation and they need a stop or whatever, they go to that list and they put those guys in. And so it's interesting, interesting. how interesting. That's, yeah. that's a very interesting note. Right? Yeah. So he was saying that Where they was that and heard it. Uh, I know. It, it, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that was would have been the prime heard it, which I just remember now. It's fall camp. Give me a break. Uh, but yeah, so he, they all the staff does that. They kind of battle, battle it out. He said across the board, the one through 10 is is across the board. Everyone agrees. Sometimes one position coach is going to argue for their guy in the top 10 or whatever. But I asked him between um, start of uh, spring camp, end of spring spring camp to start a fall camp to where they are now are there any big jumps and he said not really so uh, it seems like they're pretty solidified in that group which is funny just because we always talk about Clancy's like circle of trusted guys and there's like literally a list of trusted <laughs> guys so so I just thought it was interesting and I talking to Clancy is always really enlightening and he's a, a good guy to talk to I wish I could just sit in his office and right. chat with him for a couple hours. You right. Know? Just once a week, you know, just chill out. Clancy chats. Yeah. Clancy chats. And then bring in Chris Hawkins, too, for the fun of it. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our third agree-disagree. I said, uh, you can see the difference that Aaron Osmus has made over the offseason from what we've seen so far in fall camp. 
Uh, yeah, I tried to tie uh, you up here. This is tough. Um, I'm going to say agree, but I'm, I'm not going to agree to what you think I might be agreeing to. I'm not agreeing <laughs> to the weight or strength gains, but I am agreeing to the energy and attitude. So I think they've come out with a different attitude, and I think that – it's tough to do that. And when you go five and seven, you're going to, you're going to be in bad mood, bad attitude at during that season. But afterwards, how do you rebound? And I think that that was a tough thing to find out about this group. Would they rebound from it or would there be some lingering from it? But I think they've done a really good job. They brought energy, you know, their, their attitude is much better than, than maybe it, than what it could have been. You know, it could have went two different ways. I think he's done a good job, you know, getting them focused and, and getting them to rebound. And I think that's that, that builds. Now, the whole thing about do I see – I don't know that I see differences as far as, dude, that, that dude's jacked versus last year because I don't ever feel like that. I think we see these kids so much that it's hard to see big gains because it, it's it's the frog in the in the boiling water type thing where because it's incremental and we see them enough that it's not like – we suddenly see them six months later, and they put on twenty pounds. And it looks completely different. You know, there's a there's a gap between maybe the end of the season and spring. There's a tiny, there's like a two month gap, and then from the end of uh, spring to summer is like a month, or, month and a half gap. And it's it's just it's not a huge gap where it's like someone comes back and you're just like, oh my god, this guy looks so different. The only time I've ever done it is twice. Nico Fala. Oh, actually, Pro Day, actually right? no, but yes, that's not what I was thinking of. Uh, Liam Jimmins and Christian Rector. Those two, I I remember being like, they look like they've eaten a person. Like, they just <laughs> got, like, so much bigger. Uh, but that's also because I, I, Liam Jimmins I talked to a bit when he was in high school, and he's definitely bolted up since then, but yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it just for the regular guys, um, you know, if you haven't seen a guy from high school to when they get to camp, something like that, it, it's when you don't see them for eight months and somebody's a much bigger, you, it's a big difference. To that point, too, it's easy to get comfortable with the changes, if that makes sense, where sometimes you forget what last season was like in their demeanor, whereas, like, you kind of just accept what it is right now and maybe not notice as much. Does that make sense? Because I think there bit. is a different type of attitude and fight in this team, but not to the point where I'd be like, wow, it's really different. But I think that's just because I've seen it progress over PRPs and default camp. You see that difference versus if you if you took me from 2018 and smacked me right down into this point of practice, I would be like, wow, this is a different team. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? I think so. I think fans are going to see something different than what they saw last year. Yeah. But we, us being around, we probably see it a little bit too much to, to think it's a huge jump all the time. Okay, let's go to our final agree-disagree. USC's offensive line will once again be the key to the team's success. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> I agree with that. Yesterday was bad for the offensive line. In the fall showcase. In the fall showcase. They didn't run the ball well. Uh, they, they run the ball terribly. Uh, there were two plays, I think I remember, where there were, there were nice holes out of 15 runs. And then there were pressure several times. They were not consistent with the pressure. Now, a lot of that was in the second team offensive line, so maybe that's part of it. But there was pressures on the quarterbacks as well on all of them at different times. So I, I think that they've got to step up. They've got to do better than what they did yesterday. And if they do, this offense can be as productive as we are hoping that they will be because it's more fun to watch a team that scores a lot of points. Agreed. Let's be honest. So I – being a former receiver as an offensive player because I couldn't tackle anyone for, to save my life, I want to see points. You know, I don't like tackling. 
Why would I want to tackle? I want to hit somebody. I didn't ever want to tackle anybody. <laughs> if you're playing Family Feud Bingo at home, please mark Shotgun references the glory days of his high school career. Uh, glory days? What are you talking about? This is my glory days right here. Okay. This show. Oh, wow. Oh, Thank geez. you. Are we, we're not feuding, Shotgun. <laughs> this is bad. It's not called Family Harmony. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I would agree. I think we said it in 2018, and we were right. I mean, USC's offensive line holds the key to success. And if they protect JT Daniels better, then you don't let him get beat up like the Stanford game. He loses his confidence. He's worried. He hears footsteps. All of those things affected him the rest of the season. Yep. So that's why it's important. Hey, not that, hey, this can be a progression throughout the year. They need to get better now mm-hmm. because the first six games is not forgiving at all. You know, if you want to get better in game seven, that ain't going to cut it. You're going to be two and four at best. You got to get better now. I guess I was holding judgment in fall camp, just seeing if there would be a progression or progress or growth or something like that. But I just, I'm not sure that they made the jumps that they need to make in order to be ready for this, this season, the beginning of the tough six game schedule. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. There's a lot of, there's still some question marks with this team, the secondary being one, obviously. Uh, how the coaches gel together, how does that, uh, that the air raid offense work? The biggest key, though, is that offense line. It is the, it's what starts everything on that offense. Let's move on to questions because we got a boatload. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Thanks to everyone who sent us emails and tweets. First up, we got Bruce Wheeler who sent us an email saying, Could it be a good thing that the practices are now closed to the media? I think Nick Saban has Bama's practices closed and it seems to wor- work well for them. Open practices can give your opponent an advantage in knowing what to expect come game day. You think Nick Saban's, the, because his practices are closed, that's why they're good? Or is it because Nick Saban out recruits everybody, out coaches up everybody, and out coaches everybody? Except for Dabo Swinney for the most part. Uh, that would be why Bama has been so good. Not because he's closed practices and no one knows what's coming. Unless you have some media people that are going to an opponent and saying, hey, here's what they're doing. And even to that extent, that's not going to help you that much because unless the former, the, the media player, the media members are former players that understand the X's and O's and everything else, it's probably still not going to help you. Uh, so that, that doesn't happen. That is, If that happens, it is a very rare thing, and that would probably be an SEC thing, to be honest, uh, that someone would be paying a media person to get an inside info type of thing. No, it doesn't help the practices that are closed. I think it helps the players when practices are opening because they know that there's pressure on them, that that they know that there's an audience there, not just the coaches. Hey, if I get burnt, someone's going to write about it. Also, that you know that if you do well – Someone's going to write about it. You know, I think that adds more, you know, there and particularly the players that you want in a program. You know, there's players, certain players, they know when a scout shows up or they know when a, you know, a, a college coach shows up to their game. You know what happens? They play better. Those are the type of players you want in your program. It's the same thing with the media. They know, oh, if you're in a small town and you're like, oh, the, the media showed up today, I'm going to I'm going to show out because I want my name in the paper. You want guys that have a little ego and they play better when there's more pressure on. Now, what kind of pressure that is? That's not like a it's not Super Bowl pressure, <laughs> but hey, if you want to if you want to show out and put your name in the paper because you're in a small town and no one ever writes about your school, then then you do you do that? Yeah, no. It's Gina Davis in League of Their Own, <laughs> doing splits so she can get on the cover of Time Magazine. Uh, let's go to an email from Miles Baker. He says, "Welcome back. I really enjoy the show. Thanks, Thanks Miles." Miles. <laughs> 
We didn't plan that. He says, I can't believe I'm asking about a freshman punter, but I have a question regarding Ben Griffiths. Should he really be the weapon that we hear about? Could he go pro after one year? What is the requirement to declare for the NFL draft? My understanding was that you had to be three years removed from high school, and clearly he fits that. Are there any other requirements such as three years of college football? Fight on. No, there are not three requirements of three years of college football because look at Mike Williams. He played two years at USC. He challenged the NCAA on that ruling. He had to sit out a year. He didn't play that third year. So, therefore, no. It is three years removed from high school, which is why a guy like Sam Darnold leaves after only after t- playing two years because he redshirted one year, three years uh, uh, removed. So, Ben Griffiths technically could go in the NFL draft. He could have already been signed by an NFL team. However, the question becomes, what is he trying to get out of being at USC? Now, if he booms it everywhere and suddenly an NFL team comes calling, could he go? Yes. But is is that why he came to USC? Maybe. I I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I I think that he's probably going to be here at least at least two years. Now, after two years, if he's, you know, crushing it at USC and he's, you know, 30 years old and he goes, well, I only got so much time left it in you know in a professional career even though punters can go to their 118 years old i think (laughs) and he's already had a professional career once yeah and that's the other thing is he already has money from his previous professional career assuming that he saved some of his money so i would say he's probably coming to usc to get the degree and start a new profession type of thing so i I think he'd be here at least multiple years i don't i don't know that he'll stay for his three or four years but how often do you hear of a punter leaving early that's not necessarily it's not those aren't positions to get drafted early so you know the money that comes with being a nfl free agent undrafted free agent uh, rookie free agent is is not great so you have to get on there and then produce and get to that next contract so i think it it just depends on kind of what he's wanting i think he could though to, to, to answer the question he could leave after this year if he wanted but he has said that part of the reason why he even came to america in the first place is to get a degree from usc yeah. so you'd think that that would also influence his decision yeah i think he's at usc probably for three years but definitely for two you know get the degree after three years potentially and if you know you say okay i'm 31 years old if i want to try this nfl thing i gotta go now Let's go to an email from our buddy Maybet. What up, Maybet? Maybet. She says, hello, Keelian Shotgun. This is Maybet from Ontario. Uh, she has multiple questions for us. She says, first, if you were the offensive coordinator, what play in the opening drive will you call to send the message that USC is new and improved? I, I always want to go deep. See, but that's all, that's happened. That was like the Sark thing, right? He'd always go deep on like the first play. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with one run and then play action go deep. That's fine, too. But in the first two plays, I want to go deep. But does that signal that UFC is new and improved? Because Hero Ball was the name of the game. If you complete it and then you follow it up, I mean, if it's not a touchdown, you follow it up with a couple of short passes and you get in the end zone. The big thing is just scoring. Scoring would be good. How about a, a handoff to Stephen Carr and the offensive line just just separates the C and he just runs all the way down to the touchdown? I, I think you're in dream world right now. <laughs> That would signal that USC is new and improved. That's Did true. I say As, they could do it? Hey, you, <laughs> hey, you have given a great answer for this question, even though it is a fantasy uh, from everything we've seen so far. She didn't say it had to be true. I understand. <laughs> I said you. I gave you credit. Thank for you. Once, thank you. Okay? Sorry. I okay? should have cherished it. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, cherish. Uh, her second question says, "What will you add to or subtract from the current training?" i.e. wearing full pads at every practice, utilizing all practice days to have a better team on the field. The whole wearing full pads versus shells, you know, how many days you do it, I'm okay with the, what they've done there. I just want to see more action at those those days when you go full pads or even when you're in shells, more thud periods. 
less special teams on those days. Hey, if you if you want to do, I, I think you timed it out to 19 minutes, was it? The one day you kind of special teams? I kind of did a lot, and it was averaged around like 24 minutes. 24 minutes. Okay, so if you want to, in a week, you want to give 100 minutes to practice over a four, you know, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You want to give 100 minutes. Give that 100 minutes when you're not wearing pads. Because unless you're doing full speed, like full coverage drills, which they don't do a lot of, what is the why does it differ? What what is the big difference? I don't think there is. Now, if you're going full speed and you want to tackle on some of those and you want to cover punts and you gotta get down there, you gotta get around the blockers, I understand that. But you can limit that to a shorter you can do twelve minutes of those days and then do thirty six minutes when you're not in pads. I just think they can utilize the full pad days more, hit more in those days, encourage that physicality. I mean, Michael Pittman said, Hey, you'd like to do, you know, some kind of Oklahoma style drill. You know, that wouldn't be a terrible thing. Uh, you know, it's not the the healthiest uh, thing you can do, but you, there's certain things you can do that are not going to risk injury too much. Uh, they've they've been really healthy this fall camp for the most part. You know, a couple of major injuries with Jordan Isefa and Elijah Winston. That's pretty much it, though. So you could say, hey, we're going into the season, potentially going into the season, as long as nothing happens bad the next couple of weeks. They're going into the season healthy, that's good, but are you there physically are you ready to be physical like you need to be once the season starts rather than trying to have a warm-up game and then get physical after the first game of the season and then you're you know you're going into the fourth quarter against western michigan and they're because of their physicality and you're not tackling well they're in the game they're within a touchdown or no it's tied going into the fourth quarter of that game Fresno State's not a warm-up game like that. I mean, they lost a lot of pieces. This is a little bit similar to Western Michigan as Fresno State lost pieces off of a really good team from the year before, but I don't think they lost pieces quite to the same. Uh, they didn't lose a first-round pick like Corey, Corey Davis, I think it was, the wide receiver from Central Michigan. Uh, so I, I think that – or Western Michigan, excuse me. Uh, so I think that they're going to have to come out and play and be physical. Are they going to be ready to do that? That's a question mark I still have. So I would – do more with those full pad practices that they have. Yesterday at the scrimmage, I would have went for longer. I would have thrown the third team in there a couple times to give a little bit of a break to the first and second team, but I would have gone, if you schedule it for two hours, why'd you go for 87 minutes? I would agree with that. I I just sense this reluctance still. There's a little bit of like, let's hold it back a little bit. And I think it wouldn't hurt this team to keep pushing the envelope of how much can you get from them each practice? How much intensity can you see? Because the more you mimic it to what they're going to see on game day, the better this team can be, both mentally and physically. And they ran 81 plays. How many plays are going to be running in an actual game? More than that. Probably twice that amount. Yep. Somewhere between around 150 is usually where it averages out to be. 140 to 160 is usually, depending on the pace of a game, and they ran 81. Why'd you play a half of football if you want to get ready? Now, maybe they do that during the mock game week, but that's not what they've done under Clay Helton. The mock game week has been rest the vets. Let's see what the young guys can do. This is their last chance to impress us. So I don't think they're going to do that either. So I would have done some different things. That's what I would say. Yep. Let's move on to an email from Mike Fisher. He says, is Clay Helton living up to his promise to act more like a CEO? Do you think he spreads his time around to each position group or has he gone back to his old micromanagerial style? Thanks for all your guys' insight and hard work. I think he's floated around more this year uh, in fall camp. I think he's done that pretty well. I think what he's done emphasizing penalties and different things, the things they've wanted to really emphasize, uh, I think that they've done a better job of, you know, the false starts and different things and having referees there every day. 
Uh, I think that was a great idea. So I think those CEO moves type moves that he's done have, have been very beneficial for the team. I think so too. I think he's done a better job of, like you said, floating around and rotating to different uh, position groups and seeing the individual drills that they're doing. So I think that's a good thing. The only thing that kind of made me raise my eyebrow this fall camp was that Graham Harrell said uh, they'd start to narrow down the quarterback competition around practice 10. And then Clay Helton on that same day said after 25 practices. And then the next time we got to say, talk to Graham Harrell about narrowing down the quarterback competition and someone asked him that question, he said, uh, that's a question for Clay Helton, I guess. So I'm curious. <laughs> I don't want to put on my tinfoil hat, but my eyebrow did raise. I was like, what does that mean? The body language was a little weird. So I don't know if that's something where Graham Harrell's like, hey, let's start narrowing this down. I think I know who my guys are. And Clay Helton is coming in from above and being like, eh, let's keep it going. <laughs> uh, and like, and maybe that's his call as head coach, you know, his overall call. But yeah, He gets the final decision on everything. He does. So whether or not that's micromanaging, I'm not sure. But that's something that, that definitely did stick out to me. Uh, let's go to a tweet from William Stein. He says, what adjustments will our new air raid offense be making for third or fourth and short situations? Will we still be able to play traditional USC-powered football? So uh, you're not going to have a fullback. Let's just go ahead and throw it out there. No fullback, guys. However, the tight ends are going to be versatile. They're going to be lined up in different spots. In, in some short yard situations, you might see them in an H-back spot. You might see multiple tight ends. You might see you know, one tight end split out, one tight end on the line. You might see you know, a traditional two tight end set on each side. Or you might see them you know, bunched up on the same side. The, the usage of the tight ends are going to be what distinguishes the third and fourth down you know, short, short yardage situations because you can use those tight ends in a, in a variety of ways. You can use them as blockers. You can use them as lead blockers. You can even back them up you know, uh, beside the quarterback or something and, and use them as lead blockers that way. You know, I think USC's done some of that in the past with you know, kind of the pistol formation, putting the tight end beside the quarterback with the running back behind. They can be used that way. You can see them on the end of the line, you know, multiple tight end sets. I think the way they use the tight ends will kind of be what they do differently on those short yard situations. I think they're still going to be in shotgun almost all the time. I don't honestly, I don't know if they'll go under center in the air raid. I don't think that'll happen necessarily. I think the only time we saw them under center was when they were doing scout teamwork. Yes, that was interesting. It's like the air raid's not known for its under center. Like some air raid teams take the knee knee down at the end of games out of shotgun because that's what they do all the time. They don't want to suddenly try to bring a quarterback up underneath the, the center's bottom and you know then fumble that snap because they're not used to it. Oh, wait, Keaton did do a, a spike under center. I do remember that. Interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, just, I think that basically just the way they move the tight ends will be what will be different about short yard situations. Yeah, I, I, in the red zone periods of practice, did you see, I felt like they were comfortable throwing the ball as much as they were running the ball. And short yardage. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, even in the scrimmage, they had a fourth and two, and JT Daniels still threw the ball. Now that was also a two-minute drill, so that played into it. But yeah, you know, I, I don't think that they're afraid to throw the ball on fourth and one, or fourth and two, or third and one, third and two. Then they still feel confident in the offense, and to an extent, there are passing plays, and coaches will tell you this sometimes. Oh, a screen is an extension of the run run game. There are passing plays that are basically extensions of the run game. You know where you're going to give the ball to the running back and he's just out in the flats. Or you're going to do something and you're throwing the ball laterally, you're throwing the ball really quickly. So it's you know the quick, quick, quick passing game is supposed to be an extension of the running game to an extent. Mm -hmm. 
We have a tweet from Chris CK who says, Why does JT Daniels have so many haters when his freshman year was on par with Matt Barkley's? The simple answer is that USC won more under Matt Barkley during his freshman year. I mean, that was that whole Ohio State thing and the horseshoe. What did JT Daniels do? He went 5-7. and seven. I mean, his numbers are similar, but the results are different, and that's why he's had so many people that are attracted. And it doesn't help JT's, you know, the haters, I guess, that Jack Sears, when he came in, after an adjustment period at the beginning of that Arizona State game, he looked good. That was a different offense, different things, but people wanted to jump on that bandwagon because he's very similar to the guy that was before JT Daniels and his creativity and what Sam Darnold could do. If Matt Leinert was before Jack Sears, I don't know if there'd be so many people clamoring for a guy that can get outside the pocket. I think it would just be a different mindset you know, if it was a different guy right before him. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think also for a casual fan, it's really easy to place the blame on the quarterback um, and just kind of be done with it. True. Whereas like... I, I just think that's the case, especially on social media where people just say things. Oh, we had a tweet from Mike O'Connor. He says, based upon the transition to the air raid offense, will there be a higher rate of utilization of tight ends on passing plays? And who has stood out on t- as a tight end so far? There's going to be more tight end. I mean, tight ends, uh, utilization is not a great word here because there were tight ends on those plays all last year. The tight ends, whether they were open and caught the ball, those were two different things. But they were out there in the pass route, so it's it's not like they weren't, you know, they just took a tight end off the field. They weren't running five wides all the time. Occasionally they'd use some four wides with the, with the running back, but almost all the time their they're most commonly used um, formations were three receivers and one tight end. That'll be similar this year. It seen, I mean, from what we've seen pretty much is that a tight end is going to be in the game how much they catch passes versus last year might be different because you might see that Josh Follow steps up and shows that he can be a consistent pass catcher, and he's a guy that is athletic enough he can get open. And they use the middle of the field more because they didn't use the middle of the field a ton except on Ross St. Brown last year. So that's it should have been more utilized. They should have thrown in the tight end probably more last year because that's a great safety blanket, a great a good tight end. But that for a young quarterback, that wasn't the case. But I think I think you're still going to see tight ends in the past. I think they'll catch more passes than last year because of the offense and the fact that the offense is going to throw the ball. Uh, they're going to have more volume of passes probably this year. Uh, who has stood out as a tight end so far? You know, actually, Eric Romanhook has been pretty impressive for me this year. He's not dropping the ball. You know, he's he's never going to be the, he's never going to be the Tony Gonzalez on USC's team. He's not going to be the guy. He's not going to be a Gronkowski. But he's going to be a good dual threat for him. He's going to catch the ball when the ball's thrown to him. Uh, you know, the only time I can think of a ball not being caught by him, there was a pass interference on the play, and the ball ended up popping up and going for an interception. So I think that he's done a good job of catching the ball and everything. Now, follow is a different weapon. And if you want to throw the ball over the middle, there have been a couple of, of threaded passes from Matt Fink to Josh Follow, uh, Keaton Slovis, the pass I talked about earlier, that was to Josh Follow, you know, over a linebacker underneath a safety. There's some different things that Josh Follow can do. And if he can stay healthy also, that's a big question because he's been nicked up several times in the last couple of years. But I think both those guys have been good. Drew Wolf hasn't done as much as I thought he would do because he got off to a really good start in the spring. And Ethan Ray obviously is not doing anything right now and probably is a redshirt candidate this year. But I, I think those two older guys have a chance to, to surprise some people this year, I think. Yeah, I think I like 
follows height in the end zone. From what we've seen of when they put him in red zone situations, I like that matchup. Let's go to a tweet from Brandon Lowe. He says, what's the over-under on Clay doing the right thing and giving EA number 55 already? I don't know how there's an actual over-under there because <laughs> there's no number system, uh, but it, it, it's not going to happen right now. If it would have happened, it would have happened two days ago when they did pitchers. Yeah. Pelia and Iteote was still in the number one. You saw Elijah Griffin change numbers. You saw John Jackson change numbers. Those happened going into pitcher day because you don't want people playing with a different number than they have during pitcher day. Yeah, I think he needs to at least establish himself more because he wasn't even a starter last season. Yeah, very good point. And if he comes out and has as good of a season as we think he can have, and if he rocks some people and causes some turnovers – then that number might come his way this offseason. Yeah, but for the most part, I feel like they've kind of shied away from that. They don't want to... I don't want controversy. Yeah, exactly. Matthew sent us a tweet saying, who's leading the quarterback competition? I'm still going with JT Daniels. I would as well. I think uh, what we saw during the showcase is the guys were able... Each quarterback was able to throw the deep ball and find one-on-one matchups, and Clay gave them props for that, You know, identifying the one-on-one matchups and giving their wide receivers a chance. There were some underthrown balls. Uh, I think all three of the the main the non freshmen did the same you know underthrew a pass or two, but what J T Daniels did differently that the other quarterbacks did not do was he was cons- he was able to lead drives consistently, so they all had the same number of drives besides J T getting a couple of plays at the very end in a two minute drill um, that was cut up half cut off in the middle of it just randomly it was weird, uh, but besides that they all had the same number of drives. JT had 15 more passes than two of them because he was throwing the short pass more consistently and the other the other players were relying on the deep ball uh, to get big chunk yardage. I would be shocked at this point if it's someone other than JT. I think it's just kind of I think his experience also weighs into that factor. Um, yeah, he's got 11 games. The other guys have a qu- two quarters for Matt Fink and four quarters for Jack Sears. So I mean that that's your what you're comparing there. So I think those other guys would have had a step up and shown that they're better. David sent us a tweet that's kind of trivia, if you will. He says, when was the last time USC's defense held a team to zero points? I'm going to let you guess on this. Oh, no. Ooh, I want to say like 2013. 2011, when USC ended the season with a 50 to nothing demolishing of UCLA. I should have known that. (laughs) In the same vein, David asked, how many points did USC's defense score last year? So, another trivia question for you. What yes. did you think your answer is? Oh, no. Well, I know the JT Feli scoop and score at Utah. Mm-hmm. How can you forget a big man touchdown? And then... With I, the pretty mountains in the background. Oh, it was grateful. So scenic. Oh, I know there's something else. Someone else did something. So, I'm going to say 14. So, uh, technically, it's 12 because they don't kick the extra points. But, yes, 12, oh, right, 12 defensive you. points score. JT Feli scoop and score, like you said. And Jenny Harris is pick six, if you remember At that. Colorado, yes. Running straight to, towards me because uh, I was at the pylon. Wait, no, it wasn't at Colorado. But he did do uh, that at against, Colorado. Against Colorado, yes. Oh, both at Colorado. So, I was correct. It was against Colorado, not at Colorado. Yes, but he had one at Colorado, too. He had yes. He had the year before at, Yes. I'm going to guess he doesn't have one this year at Colorado. Just going to guess. Maybe he just emerges. <laughs> just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> There's a Jenna running down the sideline. <laughs> um, and then David also says, prediction, how many this year? So I think you get three touchdowns scoring on defense this year. You know, you're not going to get a ton. Uh, that's you. It's an abnormal year when you get more than three or four. It's just kind of the law of averages. It's, it's kind of rare. I mean, you get a scoop and score like Jay Tefele's, and what happens if he gets tackled on the five? You go, well. The season's over because we didn't score on that one. We only got one defensive touchdown. No, I mean, 
it, it's hard to score on defense. Your, your best chance are pick six on short outside routes when a you know when a defensive back jumps a route and is able to take it because there's no one there. And USC, you and I, I thought this earlier actually during fall camp. USC is going to be more susceptible to pick sixes in their offense now because they throw wide more often than they previously did. And when you do that, when you throw now USC previously threw a lot of hitches in their offense hitches and comebacks and everything, which can be jumped, but those are harder than the swing passes or something like that that, that guys can jump out and get. Uh, they're they're going to do some screens and stuff in this. Occasionally somebody will you know, beat a block and steps in front and go the other way. Now, if it's a DB that steps in front, they have a better chance than when it's your big man. But we've seen with Drake Jackson what can happen if you True. got really talented big man. That's a great point. We have been seeing more PBUs too. Uh, they've been getting their hands up, so that might – cause something but mm-hmm. to score off of that would be impressive but i do i will say though og and uh talano hufunga pose the pick six threat so definitely w- we'll see uh we have a question from greg who says from the reporting and ghost notes from dan the defensive backs seem to be giving up a lot of catches is this a product of the talent of usc's wide receivers or are they getting beat it's hard to believe anyone on their s- schedule has as much talent as they are facing in practice so it, it's a product of the talent usc has to an extent um, and that's this is what I'll say. That is, it's a product of the talent that USC has at wide receiver against the first group of DBs. Now that first group is about eight deep because I'm going to throw CJ Pollard in there, and I'm going to throw you know whoever is not starting at the cornerback spots because I think you got three safeties that are experienced, and then at the cornerback spots I think you have you know Isaiah Taylor Stewart, you have Elijah Griffin, you have Greg Johnson, you have Chris Steele. Uh, I think those guys, or those seven guys then instead of eight, are all all playing well, and they're giving up some catches, but it's because you're going up against one of the best wide receiver groups as a whole in the nation, I think. Now, the second team group and the third team group, you know, the group with all the freshmen, that's a different story. Those guys are getting beat because they're young guys and they're going up against talented, even the freshmen, Maneer McLean and Drake London, and you're having John Jackson out there is finding holes in the defenses. And then they go up against the first team guys and they go, oh, crap, I'm going up against Michael Pittman now. I'm going up against Tyler Vons. I'm going up against Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm going up against Devin Williams. You know, And that's just a really tough matchup on first-year uh, freshmen when those aren't five-star DBs that came in. Those are guys you think are going to come in, you're going to work on them, they're going to get better and better and progress. Instead of Chris Steele, on the other hand, is a very high-rated guy. He's stepping in and he's been you know, more consistent than those other young guys, those other freshmen. I think that's kind of been the big difference. It's a product of the talent USC, as wide receivers have against that first group. The second group is just they're just getting beat. Yeah, I'd agree. In that sense, how much do you think – Going up this talented wide receiver group helps these DBs. Only makes you better. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you can go up against Leonard Williams every day in practice, <laughs> you're going to become a better offensive lineman or you're going to quit. One of the two. WC Trojan says, do you guys think that the lack of run game is the result of our stout D-line or is our O-line again subpar? Are we truly going to be a leech-style air raid despite everything we heard about Harold's offense at North Texas? The offensive line has not looked great so far. I think the defensive line is going to be really good. But I'm putting this more – the onus is more on the offensive line. They've got to get better. Talked about it a little bit earlier. They've got to get better. So far, it's looked more like a leech-style air raid. Like ye- yesterday at the scrimmage, it was 66 passes and 15 runs. So that's a big discrepancy there. That's a way off from 50%, which is around where Graham Harrell was. I think it was 52-48 previously at North Texas. So now – is it they want to see the quarterback competition? Is there some there's some other reasoning into that? Probably a little bit, but that's a huge disparity, sixty six to fifteen. 
So and they the fifteen were very unsuccessful. So they've got to do a better job running the uh, running the ball. They've got to do a better job pushing guys forward instead of going backwards. There were a couple runs that were four yards deep that their offensive linemen were getting pushed back, and therefore you're getting negative gains uh, or negative yardage on on run play. So they've got to do a better job. I think it's more on the offensive line than the defensive line being great. I would have to agree. We had another question tweeted at us about how much did we how much did Saturday's performance mimic what we've seen in normal practices where there aren't ten thousand people there. Pretty similar as far as you know, as far as the play type run is. It's kind of hard to answer that without a little bit more clarity on what they want to know. In the sense that, will they run the ball more in a real game? Are they holding things back? Yada yada. But running, holding back the run is not something you really do. It's just like you do it. You don't need to like hide that. Yeah, I don't think it. Just when you have a super simplistic offense like they've said that they have, there's not a ton of run plays there. You know, if if you can install everything in three three practices, it's not like there's 172 run plays and they're doing different things on each of them. No, it's just reading the holes right and understanding the concepts that they're doing. And I don't think they're doing a great job of all that stuff combined to run the ball. Uh, I think the offensive line has been subpar uh, as far as in the run game, and they've got to get better. If USC wants to be a team that surprises people and makes a run in the Pac-12 and potentially – even grander things as far as bowl games and hey who knows if they go six and oh somehow then people will start talking about this team as a playoff team that all starts with the offense line yep as we've said previously many times full of nope sent us a tweet saying outside of the five and seven record in 2018 why is usc no longer attracted to recruits other schools with similar records are doing much better uh because other schools with similar records probably are used to that five and seven and maybe there's more uh there's not the hot seat that clay helton's on that's the biggest part is the record is bad but the biggest thing is kids want stability they want to know who they're playing for and that's a big thing they just don't want that mystery of okay well if i go there is that guy and part of the reason why i like usc is because clay helton what happens when he when he when he's fired if they go five and seven two years in a row that's the big thing. There's the uncertainty there with USC. If they start winning, then people go, okay, well, Clay Helton has this many more years on his contract. I know that he's going to be there for me, blah, blah, blah. And then it becomes a more attractive offer. Whereas, you know, if Illinois goes 5-7 and seven and Lovey Smith is the coach and it's his first year in the contract, then they know he's going to be there a couple of years. You know, it's just a bad example just because it's the first coach I can think of at a, at, with a well-known coach at a – program that's not succeeding i don't know where he's at in his contract to be honest but uh that's the type thing is that it's just the stability that is lacking there from usc and that's not just with clay helton there's stability above him there's a lot of questions about lynn swan and hey do you how much is the school going to invest in the football program in the future that's not necessarily the kids looking at that but that's the parents looking at that and they go well there's a lot of things going on at usc right now and i don't know what's gonna i don't know the athletic department's direction if there are changes made if you start winning, all that stuff starts fading away, though. So it starts with five and seven, but a lot of it is stability issues. I agree. And also, stability questions, sorry. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think with USC, there are just themes and tenets that you expect with what comes with USC. And when those aren't there, you're going to choose someone else. When USC's not winning, when USC's not the, the best school in the Pac-12, you're not going to want to go there when you don't have those guarantees of what you've come to know USC as, as a brand, that's just, it's not an attractive choice. No, no one wants to go somewhere and be a part of the worst part of it. 
Yeah. The worst part of its history or whatever. You know, you don't want to go to the Yankees and the Yankees are having a 27-win season. No, you want to play for the 27 Yankees. You know, it's, it's, it's much different. You know, that it's the way, you know, if it's a storied program, there's a higher expectation, obviously. There's a higher threshold. And you don't want to go and be, oh, you remember that really awful team at, at, the, at whatever program? You remember that really? B- no, that, that's not what you want to be a part of. One Fall Swoop says, have you seen Ben Griffiths fake a punt in practice? I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. We can't tell you guys stuff like that. We can't give those away if they're doing things, special plays in practice. Come on, guys. Talk about the whole Nick Saban kicking people out of practice. We can't tell you this. That's why. We have one final question from Luke. He says, having witnessed the fall showcase, has Clay's sideline presence and involvement changed from years past? You know, I didn't really focus on what he was doing during the fall showcase. I, th- I think that's kind of hard, and, and I apologize for not looking for that, I guess. But, you know, we were up in the press box. It was a little bit different angle. So usually, usually with Clay, I don't ever look for him. I hear him more, if that makes sense, because he's, you know, he's boisterous, and he's the guy that is yelling at guys the most on the field. And he br- when he brings them up, his voice carries. Uh, so uh, he's, that's, that's a product of being the son of a coach. Your voice normally carries when you're a son of a coach. Um, so you get used to talking loudly and, you know, I'm used to hearing him, but we were up in the press box, so we didn't really pay that much attention to what was going on there. And plus all the, all the whole team was on the same sideline. So they were all kind of little dots to an extent, especially for Keely. Cause she can't see. So everybody <laughs> was just, they were all just little dots. The new development in fall camp is that I might <laughs> need glasses. We're not really sure about it. Well, I'll keep you updated on that. No, but this is an interesting question just in the sense that this is the one time this whole season that you and I will not be close to clay on the sideline and on the field. So it's kind of a bad question because we weren't really able to to tell. The only time I noticed him was that during a red zone portion, uh, I think it was JT at at quarterback. Clay was like five yards right behind and like bending over and like really trying to see this play develop, which I thought was interesting because you just don't see the head coach right there during a game. But that's all I really saw. Yeah, he was mirroring a middle linebacker then. It was the yeah. the uh, reverse Vontez Burfecht photo. Sure, yeah. But I just think Clay's sideline presence in general is misunderstood from the general public. People think that he's this like super nice guy who's like, excuse me, ref, I don't <laughs> agree with you there. Like, no, he's a coach and he's going to yell at the refs and be angry. That's what happens. A lot of F-bombs and BSs and, and, and when we, missed calls are happening. True. And we've also seen it in practice, too. He's called the team up before maybe a final uh, full tackle portion of practice and been like, hey, you guys need to play eyes up. Let's do this. And I omitted some F-bombs there. But uh, he's he's had some rah-rah in him this fall camp that we've seen. Yeah, and, and I think that Clay's sideline presence, I mean, the, the thing that happens, he's, he's an emotional guy on the sideline. I think that he's a guy that's going to wear his emotions on his sleeve in a game. Now, sometimes that can be bad for a team because usually you follow the emotional presence of your coach. Uh, So sometimes rage being the only emotion you show can be a positive, but I don't think it's a bad thing for him to, to, you know, give his all on the sideline. Like he does, he gives the full range of emotion uh, based on the situation. Yeah, I would agree. It's about time you agree with me. How dare you? I think we also end somehow every podcast on an agreement, which is just wrong. Because you finally understand after listening to me That's for an hour so or whatever. Not. We're past two hours at this point. Hopefully I can edit this down 
shorter than two hours. Thank you if you made it this far. A lot of questions, guys. Thanks yeah, for the questions. thank you for the questions. We had a lot to talk about. Like I said, it's a long episode just because we had to recap fall camp and the fall showcase. So there's a lot to talk about. And we had to separate it because there was so much to talk about it between tunnel vision. So there's some pre-tunnel vision and post-tunnel vision. Shh, the, mag- the magic of editing, <laughs> Shotgun. Don't let them know. Yeah, but that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. We'll be back next week Ooh, with a special guest. Dun, dun, dun. Don't dun, get too dun, dun, dun. Don't get too excited. It's just Chris Trevino. But wow, way to ruin this. Why are you going to say special and surprise and now you just give it away? Yes, but we have a special guest next week. So stay tuned for that. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week at some point. We're still trying to figure out our when we're going to be back in the studio. But we'll be back uh, to give you our latest updates. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Peace.